fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technologies. Welcome to another episode of Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies. This is the show that takes your favorite fictional science and technology and makes it a reality. We are called The Brain Trust. We do this for you. Uh, I am analytical mastermind Daniel J. Glenn. With me, physics phenom Dr. Michael Denon. Great to be here, Dan. Very excited. Um, Hopefully no one in the audience will go jumping in vats of acid after we're done today. (laughs) Well, they do make it pretty enticing on the show, that's for sure. Um, But before we get into that, we have to introduce our enigmatic engineer, Ben Seepser. Ben, where are you broadcasting from today? Well, today I figured I'd uh, start up a new garage lab, you know, for all my great inventions and uh, technology. And so that's where I am. Thanks to our last episode, you can have a box that says time travel stuff, just like Rick. Exactly. (laughs) Which is very vital, which I don't know if it will be vital for this particular episode, but we'll find out where we're going with this. So we are talking, you know, occasionally, uh, I really like Rick and Morty, so I force my fellow Brain Trust members to analyze an episode every now and again. Although I got to admit, the show is definitely become way more hit and miss than it used to be. But this particular episode, I thought was just a classic Rick and Morty episode, just a fun one. It's called the Vat of Acid episode. And we're going to talk about a few different things on this, uh, not the least of which is the vat of acid that they jump into at the beginning. Or should I say it is a vat of something made to look like a vat of acid. I thought this was really fun. And Denon, I feel like you're with me on this. Oh, totally. I I mean... It, it's become cliche now, but they had me at vat of acid. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's just the, the concept that he would have prepared a vat of acid ahead of time and, and have to know exactly which one to jump in because they looked all exactly the same that had his stuff at the bottom. I was a particularly a fan. I, I know there's no way to avoid spoiler alerts in this because we're doing the whole episode. Yeah. I was a fan right. of the bones that would float to the top that the acid would apparently eat everything real quickly except your bones, which, you know, we've talked about in some other episodes is acid is a possible way to clean things. And in all of right. our other examples, the bones went away too, just as a point of reference. But right. it, it is a definite image people have of the bones coming to the top. So a lot of fun in that. <laughs> right. Uh, ben, have you ever done this before to fool anyone for any reason? No judgment. Uh not that I can talk about. <laughs> <laughs> oh, our enigmatic engineer, you are secretive. All right, guys. So the first thing I want to talk about is the when they're in this vat of acid. And, you know, I guess that's kind of a misnomer because it is not a vat of acid. It is a vat of liquid made to look like acid. But because they are not dissolved, they are going to be underwater uh, or under liquid, let's say. And they can't breathe liquid. That's impossible. So one of the first things we see is this little pump that they have set up in there, and that's really key to their survival inside of this fake vat of acid. So on my other podcast, Fascinating Nouns, I spoke with a former wiki-watchy mermaid, and they essentially, if you're not familiar with who they are, they were basically a a group of women who dressed up like mermaids. Not initially, but later on they did. Now they dress like mermaids, and they perform underwater shows, and the way they breathe underwater is through a compressor and an air tube. 
And let me tell you, from what I understood, it is not quite as easy. I don't know that they could just jump in and start doing it. Some of these women, it took um, about a year to really figure out how to do it professionally and without you know, dying. So uh, I thought that was a pretty interesting aspect about this. I don't know about you guys. Oh, I, I, I loved it. But now that you've um, explained that, Dan, I love it even more. The training involved, the dedication that Rick <laughs> and Morty would have had, um, even though only one of them knew they were there. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> it is, is particularly impressive. Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned, so you mentioned the dissolving a body. Now, in our Logan's Run episode, we very quickly talk about, talked about what it would take to dissolve a body. And what we found was that it's actually hot lie would dissolve a body quicker. None of them would keep the bones intact, really. So this whole bone thing was really just a dramatic flair for the expectations of the bad guys in this, I believe. Oh, exactly. But what impressed me was the bad guys had detailed knowledge of bone structure because they did criticize the <laughs> rat bones um, as being, you know, cartoon-like rat bones that were just carved <laughs> to look like rats. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. That was very funny. Uh, so that was, I mean, that whole, the whole vat of acid itself was just, just a, a really fun thing. Now, obviously, Le Piste Resistance in this episode is the device that Rick creates on Morty's design that allows him to save the current state of the world, video game style, to do something. And if he doesn't like the outcome, can hit the button and reset it back to his save point brilliant piece of technology, if you don't mind me saying so. But before we get to that, I want to talk about a couple of other quick pieces of technology that we, we've kind of already discussed. But there's this fun little moment when uh, they've been kind of caught, when Rick and Morty have been caught, and Rick has a third arm. It just kind of comes out of nowhere that he shoots with. We talked about this in our Doc Ock episode about a drummer who basically had a cybernetic arm and that that it had AI powered, you know, that it could drum with an AI power. So I don't know that an arm that can control and aim a gun is that far off, especially given the military's interest in autonomous weapon systems. Yeah, no, that that's not crazy at all. <laughs> um so, I mean, a, there's all sorts of devices that could aim guns for us now. Like, you know, you, you can put a gun on a gimbal mount. Ha, it has a camera and it can, you know, figure out, you know, through uh, image processing where to aim. That's, that's something we can do today. Um, and, it's, and whether it's a gimbal mount or an arm in Rick's case, like, I mean, that's easy. No problem there whatsoever, as far as I'm concerned. Or a gimbal mount dressed as an arm. I mean, you can make it look like an arm, right? What I wondered, Dan, was um, why do you need a fake third arm? Isn't just the fake arm the one that's not moving in your sleeve and that's your real arm? And then you just shoot the guy? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like, funny because it shoots and then it goes away and then we don't see it again. Yeah. So what is the – that's a really interesting question. Which one was the fake arm? Well, we see in some other episodes this season that he, like, grows – he drinks potions – to grow appendages that help him fight and then they disappear right away and right you know he just has all sorts of stuff <laughs> i mean it's definitely science looking like magic for sure i mean yeah. it's got a very harry potter feel to it all you know yes yeah well so i think you know so that one's pretty simple uh when they're in the vat of acid they have this listening device 
This feels actually probably like the most, like the easiest one. Now I'm, you know, my 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 level of, of knowledge and surveillance equipment really only comes from television and other cartoons where you have like the van that's dressed up, you know, like a flower delivery truck and they're listening with those little satellite dishes. But I imagine this is probably similar and very easy to do. The, the only trick is through the medium of water, but I imagine it's still pretty simple. Yeah, actually in some ways the tricky part is how do you get them to be able to listen underwater? I mean, obviously they're wearing masks, but when you look at uh, like scuba divers who actually have like two-way communication when they're scuba diving, it's like a full mask that goes around your ears too because you really can't, it, it, it's really hard to get like the sound to travel in a way that's really intelligible hmm. if water's the medium. So, because the water to your eardrum, that's a totally different change in density and it doesn't sound right. So, to me, that implies they're maybe doing some bone conduction uh, stuff so that they can hear it. Or maybe they have something over their ears too so that they have little speakers that are playing right next to their ears but in air. Interesting. I, I wondered if the medium of water was going to be the trick, and it sounds like that's exactly right. For sure. Yeah, no, that really is the physics problem. As you said, Dan, the microphone itself, you know, to pick up sound directional microphones is not the hard thing to design. But it's, it's c doing all the connections underwater in the right way. That's kind of, you know, I think that's kind of easy. The, while they're, so one more thing, while they're in the vat of acid, is they have a gun that dissolves ladles. Now, it probably dissolves other things, but it's specifically used to, <laughs> to look like acid that has dissolved a ladle, um, very cartoon style. Um, could this be uh, essentially like a hot lie gun, or is this, what would they be using on this? Or could it really be acid? I mean, it could be acid, but then you'd have acid in the water. I think it's just like a phaser kind of gun that melts the ladle, and it still looks like acid because melting and acid are basically the same thing mm. uh, once you pull it out. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. That makes I, sense. I, I'm thinking a flamethrower that works in the liquid just because I'm flashbacking to everything we've done with the Mandalorian, and I love the flamethrower right. idea because if you recall, our flamethrowers in those episodes actually had a, a gel-like substance that it was shooting, mm -hmm. not just the fire, right? So we think of fire not working underwater, but you can imagine there are things you can get to burn underwater. And, and I'm thinking low-tech here where you, where you basically get a goop that you're sort of igniting and melting. So kind of Ben's idea of melting, but with maybe a, a physical gel involved. I mean, that makes sense. And, and as Denon was talking about, burning underwater is fairly easy. You just need to provide your own oxidizer along with your fuel. Which, you know, that's just the basics of like rocket propulsion in space is you bring along both your oxid oxidizer, which in some cases is uh, liquid oxygen, or in other case is it might be like something like nitric acid. And then you bring along a fuel, which, you know, would be kerosene or hydrogen. And then with those two ingredients, you can create a fire even underwater or in vacuum. Wow. I had that. I did not know that's where we we're going to go with this. I love that. <laughs> that is, uh, I mean, and what, what's also really cool about that is thematically it fits with the episode because essentially he's kind of flaunting the low tech stuff that he's doing, the low tech technology that, <laughs> that, and it's not really analog, but it's not the type of high level quantum stuff that he's typically doing, which is why Morty's making fun of him because it's, you know, of all the <laughs> things they could have done, jumping into a vat of acid seemed a little grandiose. And I like that. The other fun thing to think about is acid. Acid is an oxidizer. So theoretically, if it was actually acid, you would maybe just need the fuel. 
Oh, oh, that's interesting. Oh, I love that. Okay, but it's but, not actually but it's not acid. acid, right? But that's fun. That's a fun thing to think about. Yeah, that was. That, I think that's great. Uh, so let's talk about this. This device that basically saves your place and time. I don't have a name for it yet. They don't really say it in there, so I don't know what this episode is going to be called just yet. I can't call it the one with the vat of acid. No one will know what I'm talking about. But that's a problem for me for a later day. But what essentially this device does is Morty wants to be able to in life save his place and then kind of keep doing things over and over again until he gets it right or gets the outcome that he wants. This is, you know, this is kind of tricky, and especially the explanation that they give. I'm kind of curious how we get there, because they, they specifically say that this is not time traveling, but I feel like this is, there's a small time traveling element involved here. Uh, but let's, you know, I don't want to get too far ahead of, of anything because I know I'm going to be wrong 100%, believe it or not. But let's go to Denon first. Denon, what, what do you think about this idea and how they solved it? Well, I, I personally really like the way they solved it, though I could think of some other things. I mean, in the end, you find out it was all a quantum mechanical effect with an interesting twist that we can get to. And, and I think it's an interesting idea because what you're trying to do is, yes, in, in a sense, there's an element of time travel because you do go back to a different point, but you're, you're not doing it really by, you're, you're kind of freezing your current movement through time in the quantum sense and going into another quantum universe and then restarting back where you were. And that was said in perhaps the most confusing way. So I would love to restart and go back <laughs> to my original moment right now, but I forgot to save it. So. Well, so let, let me see if I understand this correctly. So we just did an episode wrapping up our Star Trek summer about time travel. So if I could, maybe if I can extrapolate this, let me see if I have this correctly. Essentially, they get transported to a quantum universe, one that is very similar. But since space and time are the same, as we talked about with a block universe, if time is existing, if every point in time exists at the same time, and every point in space exists at the same time, you essentially are just moving up to the quantum world and then maybe just back a few seconds in time to restart? Is that, could that kind of work? Kind of. I mean, it's, it's weird because what you had in our, in our Star Trek one was pure general relativity. What you really have okay. here is the pure multiverse theory of quantum mechanics, which is at the point of every measurement, and we've talked about this in another sense for a different reason, at the point of every measurement, you, everything happens and you only experience one of them, right? right, in quantum mechanics. Because of the wave function, everything happens with some probability. And what you do is you force yourself into these different multi-universes and figure out a way to get back to the one you wanted. So that's why it's a little bit different, because um, in quantum mechanics, time is really just a parameter that keeps track of a whole bunch of variables, whereas when we're talking about in general relativity, time is really this other dimension of space that you're experiencing. So what I find really cool is back-to-back, -back, we have one episode that deals with general relativity, and this one that's fundamentally quantum mechanics, two things we don't know how to actually make sense of together in physics yet, and that's what we're working hard on. So you're kind of using these two separate <laughs> tools, which is cool. So it's a little it's a little bit what you said but it from my perspective it's 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 a sort of fundamentally different more confusing physics it's this whole idea of the wave function not collapsing and everything possible happening always Got it. Now, how would this, since Morty, kind of one of the keys to this episode is Morty making these decisions and then at the end has all the memories of all the things that he did. 
How does the memory part of this work? Uh, ben, you're, you're our, our neuro expert here. How would he have all of these brain memories? You know, I guess any memory is part of the brain, huh? Well, it, sound, it sounded like the way the de- with the way the device worked is that it was shunting the Morty with the remote between all these different multiverses to basically... So basically, when he would press the button... Um, it would take a snapshot of the universe at that moment. And then when he would press it again, the device would have to find a universe that was in that state Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. shunt him back into and drop and leave him out of the one he just messed up. There's a question of, does it swap the Mortys? You know, that's an interesting question. But the one who keeps getting shunted between the, the multiverses he is going to remember everything because he's the he's a unique being that's just crossing all these different universes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. What I, what I like about that one way to think about it this helped a lot because now I have a better way to say what I was saying before <laughs> poorly. <laughs> okay. I feel like I've yeah. got my reset right. Okay, so in good. quantum mechanics, every time a, a measurement or a decision's made, you now make two: the one that did A and the one that did B. Mm-hmm. So there are millions upon millions of Mortys, right, that experienced everything, some very close, some very different. And what you cleverly do, I'm just going to repeat what Ben said, is you're now taking one Morty and jumping him around to lots of different Mortys. And what we learn is to make that work, he had to kill the Mortys that were the other ones. But it's really now one Morty that normally would have been along a straight linear path of decisions jumping between these multi-universes in clever ways, killing the Morty that's already there so that you don't have two Mortys, and then coming back and starting over. So that's why he remembers everything. Okay. I I guess I missed how he kills them. Are they pre-killed, or are they kind of dissolved as um, kind of a byproduct of his quantum jumping? Well, we don't get the details of how they're destroyed. We just It's made very clear that every time he jumped, he destroyed another Morty. And, it, and the visual effect was of dissolving. So maybe it's keeping that vat of acid theme. Everything is just dissolving in this episode. <laughs> I guess that makes sense. Uh, you know, one of the other kind of funny things that they mention is that there's no consequences. But that's not really true because he eventually completes the task or finishes the the story or whatever. So there are consequences to actions. He just gets to choose what the consequences are or at least choose what the outcome is and therefore kind of roughly decide what the consequences are, right? Well, I, th- I think he's definitely hoping there's no consequences. That was his goal. And when he gets to the end, he realizes there are because everybody shows up to arre- arrest, kill him or otherwise – in which case we do need another vat of acid to save him from that, um, which is the brilliance of the episode. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there are consequences because all of these other things do happen and people remember it. Um, so it was a weird way to save yourself um, and, and go back. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, and it's funny. So I, I think, you know, from so, so the, the switching between what would it take to really to understand where or at least trap the quantum possibilities. Like, how would you find, like, what would it take to find a universe that was very similar to this one, you know, and and then put you into that? Like, how is it, are you looking at similar wave functions or what exactly are you looking at? It's, it's tough. I think that's actually the the most interesting part of the problem. Um, th- there's a there's a comic I really enjoyed that called Star Slip, which has a thing called Star Slip Drive, which 
operates on the same principle of when you want to travel a long distance, you just find a universe where the ship is already there. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then, and I think, and, and in that case, it does swap them. So you also have to find a universe where that ship wants to be where you are <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I see this. Uh, but if there's infinite universes, uh, somewhere that universe exists. But what's interesting about that is that this uh, drive, they eventually discover that it's not always perfect. And it actually causes lots of accidents where the two universes don't really line up. And one of the major arcs of that storyline is that he does a jump and he loses his love interest mm -hmm. because she's dead in the new universe. And then the drive can't get them back to a universe where she's alive again because generally it's correct and will maintain those things like that. Ah, I got it. Okay. So I think in, it's a similar problem in, in Rick and Morty where you have this, the problem isn't finding something that matches. It's, it's the time it would take to search it. So what really is interesting to me is how good a search and comparison function must be in that remote. Right. <laughs> that yeah. it can find a universe that almost perfectly, that matches the state you were in when the button was last pressed. Yeah, and sometimes he has to do it multiple times. Like, you know, what I love is the Cheeto version because he's throwing Cheetos into his mouth. And instead of just grabbing another Cheeto, which right. is what everyone would do, he resets and starts with the first Cheeto over again, which is just, I mean, it's a funny overuse of this technology. No, I like that. Yeah. Although then you have to think, if he's doing that to, like, try to save weight but still enjoy all the Cheetos, in reality, he did eat all the Cheetos. So it doesn't even help. <laughs> right. I guess it's, well, they bounce off his mouth. He doesn't do a very good job of catching him. Oh, that's right. right. Yeah, yeah, you can't even catch him. That's what's funny. Well, the other uh, thing, Dan, that you mentioned, yeah. which helps, I think, understand how you might des try and design this. So we are dealing with this as a quantum thing with wave functions. And basically, you want to think of the wave function as the probability of where you are. So there's a peak of the wave function when you're there and then nothing when you're not. And we do know how to do this with sound, right, to kind of manipulate where the peaks and valleys are. And that's basically, in a weird way, what um, noise-canceling headphones do for you, right? They mm -hmm. take sound that should be where you are and get rid of it. Um, and in, in principle, you could make peaks of sound somewhere else and so on. Um, we don't know how to do that with the wave function right now. We don't really know if you can actually manipulate it on purpose. But in a sense, measurements are doing a manipulation of it. And as we understand quantum mechanics better, who knows what might emerge from this. Um, but that's kind of the, the very theoretical level of what you're trying to do to sort of move from one of these to another. You're trying to take the peak and, and, and make that peak occur somewhere else. You know, what's interesting about that is, is it kind of talks about this, you know, manipulating the wave function to get it to do what you want, right? That's essentially what we're saying. You're talking about like looking at the wave function and seeing where we could find duplicates, which was the kind of the question I asked initially. How would you find a quantum universe right. by looking at the wave function? But let's say you're looking at the, quanta, uh, the, the wave function and, you know, you said all possibilities happen until it collapses into this one, what actually happens, right? Under what you just said, at least under those constraints, isn't it possible that, or at least maybe even easier to have a device that instead of having to redo it until you got it right, 
you could just manipulate the wave function so that the pot, the outcome where you got it right was just forced into reality. Does that make sense? Well, I definitely think that's that's kind. Of, it depends what your your goal is. You're like Morty's goal was to try something, experience it. If he didn't like it, later go back to where he had saved and start over. If you already uh, knew the outcome right. you wanted, right, and you wanted X to happen instead of Y, then you'd kind of be doing what you wanted to do, Dan. And, and instead of a, you know, save your space device, you'd be a make the future you want device. <laughs> right. Well, I can think of two examples. Uh, I've given one, the Cheetos episode, or the Cheetos thing, right, where he could just have one where he lands in his mouth. There's also where he's jumping over a manhole but you're not going to decide whether you like jumping over a manhole. You just want to jump over the manhole to so just force the outcome that you want there. And then there's another one where he's playing a video game, and instead of which is really funny, so instead of saving his game and restarting it there, he just restarts the world. Right. Uh, but you you could force the outcome where you completed the level. You know, I guess that's kind of what I'm saying. And in, in those three instances, you could force the outcome instead of trying something because that's not really the goal. Yeah. And. In that case, you're kind of getting into how like the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy ship works, right? It's the infinite impossibility drive or infinite improbability drive, mm-hmm. where it it just calculates the least improbable. It, it finds a way to solve the wave function such that the improbable thing you want to happen happens. Right. Yes. That's exactly. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. I like that. Okay. Okay. Yeah, no, so that is definitely a, a, a better way to go if you know your outcome. Okay, yeah. all, right, all right. So it is, so that, that is, that could have almost been at least, you know, maybe a companion device to the savior space. Yes. One. Yeah. Okay. But in reality, we know Morty is a jerk and he was trying to do things. Do bad things without consequences. Well, yes, the first thing he does is pull down his teacher's pants. So <laughs> you're you are exactly right, Ben. Uh, so I think you know I I think this is you know at least theoretically this is kind of possible. Uh, you know once we get the location of the once we're able to analyze the wave function properly, at least I'm understanding this is possible. Yeah. Well, it, it's possible in a weird way, but yeah, I mean it's 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 one of those weird things about quantum mechanics that once we understand the nature of reality better um it's it'll be interesting to see what you can do i feel like your version dan is a little more likely than morty's Mm. version right forcing a particular outcome seems to be something that would be more feasible than saving and then finding the equivalent universe because of ben's um pointed out the the search algorithm gets very difficult yeah. Well, I couldn't agree with you more, Dennis. I think mine is more feasible. I think you nailed it. I think you hit yeah. it right on the head. Uh, so, th- I mean, this was a great episode. I got to tell you, this was really, uh, I was kind of disappointed with the season. And this one was really coming off a couple of really weird ones. This was such a great episode. I can't, I can't recommend it <laughs> any more highly. Uh, so let's talk about some errors, additions, omissions, uh, things we want to talk about, but we're not going to. Ben, do you have anything for this episode or any others? Yeah, I think it was just really, I'm mean, back to like how the acid, the fake acid vat worked. I thought it was really interesting to just see the, like the little pump and all that stuff. And, and what you were talking about with the compressed air, that's, that's a tough thing. Like what's interesting is to think about scuba diving tech and how that pump would have to work. Like that vat was really, was fairly deep. So you would need some pretty strong pressure to actually force, you know, air into your lungs, which is why it's hard to breathe from tubes and things like that. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't think about that. 
I love that. Um, back to the Wiki Watcher mermaids. More respect for them. Denon, do you have anything? Yeah, it just made me wonder why in cartoons is acid always green and all the acid I ever used in the Linny Lab was transparent? <laughs> just, you know. Well, well to question. build on that, Denon, there is red acid. Like, red fu- fuming nitric acid is, is red. Well, still, not green. <laughs> Not green, though. That's true. I didn't know that. that. I love red acid. That sounds like a lot of fun. Very similar to yeah, red. Yeah, it's reddish, rustyish. It's nasty stuff. Wow, that's crazy. So I got a couple here. There's a couple of really fun Easter eggs in this episode. One of my favorites, and this may be a future episode of FGGBT, but when Morty first comes and asks about, I think he's kind of giving Rick a hard time about the vat of acid, at his, on his tool, bo- uh, tool table, whatever you call that, on his workbench, Rick is working on the sphere, the sentinel sphere from Phantasm, which is essentially a ball with these two spikes that goes into your forehead, drills a hole, and then drains your blood and embalms you right then and there. Uh, It's a pretty creepy device, but you know how much I love horror movies. That's one of the first horror movies I ever saw, so maybe we'll do that for some other flashback thing that we could do. One of the scenes where, this is is a really big Easter egg, but one of the scenes where Morty dissolves takes place in Rick's memory crystal chamber, uh, it's very small in the background, and we did that episode. That's from Morty's Mind Blowers. We did that on this, FGGBT. Um, I'll put a link to that so you can find it very easily. Uh, so those are my two. Uh, I thought this was, again, I just thought this was a fun episode. And if you are finding yourself in need of a new kind of existence, or you don't like the fact that you can't throw a Cheeto up in the air and catch it in your mouth and you want to start all over again, uh, we've just taught you kind of how to do that. But if you want to continue the conversation, you can get in touch with the show. We're on social media on twitter at f triple g bt pod or on facebook at f triple g bt but of course you can get in touch with us if you want to talk about anything specific or to help with your designs ben where can people find you on social media you can find me on all the major social media networks at b seepser how do you spell that b s i e p s e r denon where can people find you so you can find me twitter and instagram at denon michael just flip my name um, and then on Facebook, it's at Prof Denon Michael. You add the Prof in in front of the Denon Michael. Got it. You got to do that. That's the correct order that you have to do it. For me, on Facebook, I'm at Analytical Mastermind. Twitter, at Daniel J. Glenn. Instagram at the Daniel J. Glenn. That's where you can find us if you want to talk about this episode or if you want to just talk acids. It seems like my two hosts are incredibly knowledgeable on <laughs> both transparent and colored acid. We'll give you everything you need to know, but like all of the knowledge we've given you, acid is can be very dangerous. You want to handle it responsibly. You want to be a superhero, not a supervillain. Until next time, thank you for listening. Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies is a Glenco production and is produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and Paul Springers with music and sound design written and performed by Paul Springers. Now, if you like this show, you're going to want to subscribe. Well, how do you do that? The good news is we're on all the major podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, and now Spotify. If you're not already on those platforms, don't worry. We've made it very easy for you. Go to our website, fgbt.com. That's fgbt.com, where you will find links to everything you're looking for. All the subscribe buttons at the bottom of the page. Links to our social media are right there. And if you go to the top of the page, you'll see a little button that says episodes click on that and go to your favorite episode 
There you can find the show in its entirety. You can find the links that we talked about, the in real life examples that we brought to you, including videos. And of course, we've got each episode has its own YouTube video. You can watch it there if you prefer. And if you like this show, you're going to like everything that I do. Go to DanielJGlenn.com to find out more. Thank you for listening.